For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. First off, Randy, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Jeff. How about you? I am doing great, thank you. And Jake, how's this Saturday treating you? You know, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm just grateful we finally got some rain last week. Yeah, I'm telling you, the hot dog days of summer, when these showers come, they are so entirely welcome, but it won't be too much longer. I mean, a Halloween's going to be here, and before you know it, it's going to be Thanksgiving, that it's going to be Christmas. It's Labor Day weekend. What did you guys do all summer? Anything special? You know, other than riding bikes and running and swimming, which we've done the all the above old, same in, old with him. in the lake. Yeah, it's the same old, same old with me, you know. That's really what we've done. But we've enjoyed the summer, and I like it hot, you know. And yeah. so I kind of i am always a little bit – I'm probably the last guy that, that people want to talk to about this because I'm like, oh, I don't want it to get cold. I'd rather yeah. it just stay hot. And Jake, <laughs> me, you're, I'm ready. you are the other way around. You, you like the colder weather, right? Oh, yeah. I can't wait. It cannot get to uh, 40 degrees fast enough for me. Well, Randy, you're like a, a kid in that these are the sort of things that we did when we were kids, and that's riding bikes and swimming and just having a great time. So, But anyway, I am ready for Labor Day. I am ready for the fall, the leaves turning, and, of course, the holidays will come before you know it, and then it's going to be a brand new year. But let's not get ahead of ourselves today. I want to talk to you about something that I have heard. It's an old adage that financial people have used for years, and it refers to the uh, market. It refers to the seasonal market. It's called sell in May and go away. What exactly? does that mean as it pertains to the stock market? Well, basically, Jeff, what used to happen, I think, is, you know, people that invested in the stock market in the early days were people that had extra money. You know, they had, they had excess funds, if there is such a thing, right. uh, that, they, that they didn't need for daily living and stuff like that. And so, you know, when they would go on vacation and they go out, go down to the Hamptons, I guess some would go down there or wherever <laughs> they, they went to vacation, <laughs> yeah. they would leave and they didn't really want to worry about things during summer vacations. So they would just sell, put their money in cash until they got back. So they knew that they knew that they knew they had what they left with, I yeah. guess. Uh, especially if you're going to go to the Hamptons and spend all that kind of money, right? <laughs> right. I've been but, there. Uh, Nothing cheap in the Hamptons. I would imagine that's true. I have never been there, but I I read and I see the stories of the helicopter rides from no, no. New York down there, the, how people get there and that sort of thing. A different level of wealth than I'm used to. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the selling may go away is just one of quite a few seasonal patterns in the market. But if you had sold in May and bought in at the end of October, you would have been much, much better off each time on average uh, over the last hundred years in the market. And so another one is like, uh, when we're talking about seasonality, another one is like the Santa Claus rally. Mm -hmm. So from Christmas to New Year's, the market is up 93% of the time. And so that's another one of these little, there's actually funds that have built their entire philosophy around these little 
kind of adages, which to me is a little bit, you know, I mean, it can work, but it doesn't necessarily always work. But there are some seasonal things that tend to induce gravity or lack thereof on the market, like September. It's now September, and September is historically, on average, the only month of the year that is negative Mm. over the last 120 years or whatever it is that we've been keeping track of the Dow. So every other month has a positive average return. September is almost a percent negative. And so that by itself is not really something I would pay too much attention to. But when we have had a big run up in July and the first part of August, as we've already seen, there can be some gravitational effects on the market as we approach into September, where people are already expecting September to not be so good. Because that's a very well-known thing on Wall Street, that September is not uh, historically a great month. You also have, like, even in individual stocks, there can be there can be seasonality. So, like, Apple, for example, this week is going to uh, to do their annual product release. So they're going to release all the new iPhones. They're going to announce probably new watches, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And usually the run up into that, Apple is up 68% of the time in the previous two weeks. But it's, I think, I don't have the number right here in front of me, but I think it's like 85% of the time it's down the following month after that. So the buildup and anticipation into that release causes Apple to go up. And then as soon as it happens, it's never as good as anybody's expecting. And then it starts to go down. So you can use these little subtle things to your advantage with the right plan. Is sell in May and then go away a reliable adage? And what I mean by that, has it always been historically accurate or have there been any sort of variations in that over the years? Anytime you look at averages, that's what they are, the averages. So Mm -hmm. there's absolutely, well, frankly, this year from January to May was not exactly stellar. Right. You know, which typically is a great season, right? Um, In fact, a lot of the tech stocks peaked November 1st, which is when you're supposed to buy. And, you know, they were way down through the end of May when you're, you know, you're supposed to sell. And then July it rallied. And so, yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. But over over the over the long haul, technically, you'd be better off to sell in May and buy in November. But that by itself, again, is not really a signal. But if you have a situation where you're really, the market's gone up a lot or is uh, quote unquote overbought, going into May, it might be a way to say, hey, you know, maybe we should pull back on the reins. Maybe we should trim our positions a little bit, raise a little bit of cash. But again, that's that's pretty technical stuff for the average person. But it's an interesting adage, an interesting story to look at. So sell in May, then go away. The go away part refers to safe investments. I mean, are you, are we talking about cash, that sort of thing, or, or cash equivalents? Is that what people go into? Yes, Jeff, I think so. And and it's uh, again, it's one of those things I'm not sure how much weight it holds anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there was a time that maybe it held quite a bit of weight, but today with the way investing is done, people are always continually investing. If you're investing into a 401k, which I will tell you, I mean, if we looked at all the money we see come through our doors and if we look at all the money that's out there invested, it's invested through 401k's, IRAs, 403b's, 457's, all these qualified plans that are generally company oriented or employer oriented. And so 
the bulk of the money is invested on a regular basis out of people's paychecks. So I don't think it holds water like it used to. However, there's still, you know, some people that would say, yeah, it kind of makes sense. You know, as people are on vacation, not thinking that much about it. And it probably does change some of the things for the retail investor. But again, the retail investor is certainly not the dog that's wagging the tail anymore. Mm -hmm. But it could hold a little credence based on that. One of the things I find fascinating, Jeff, is... When you hear the word technical analysis when you're on when you're watching TV that kind of thing it's just kind of a fancy word for uh, analyzing the markets and chart patterns and things like that. One of the things that's really been interesting over the last couple of years since all the stimulus money came in and all the the GameStop issue and all that kind of thing it's is a lot of interest has risen from retail investors in technical analysis. Well, technical analysis works because people don't know it's happening. Right, So if they say, hey, if the stock gets to this level, then you should sell it based on technical analysis. Well, what if everybody knows that you should sell it based on technical analysis? Now it kind of becomes an unself-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because if everybody knows you should sell it, and they sell it, then maybe what you should do is actually buy it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of there's a lot of really long-standing, 100-year technical analysis type stuff that's really not working as well as it used to. And, and I think that, I know that was kind of a long-winded thing, but I think that the same is true of these seasonality things where, you know, people know you should sell in May and go away, so it doesn't work as well. Or people are just sure it's going to rally from, you know, from Christmas to New Year's. And again, I'm not saying it won't. I'm just saying the more people are aware of that, the less it will hold water. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd here at Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about seasonal markets. And, you know, it occurs to me, I've always heard that, uh, you know, the stock market is a long-term investment sort of thing. I think Warren Buffett said that if you're not in the stock market, you know, for 10 years, you shouldn't be in it at all. But, you know, uh, sell may then go away. Sounds like that someone is doing this on an annual basis. They're doing it every year. So that makes me sort of doubt the validity of that. I mean, should you trade stocks on an annual basis like that? Or, is you, or are you better off to think of stocks as a long-term investment? So I think it's important that we talk about time horizon. So it's really about time horizon. I think that if you are 35 or 45 and you're contributing to a 401k, you need to totally ignore all technical analysis. You need to totally ignore all these adages and sell it may and go away. Just fund that thing, get your match, and one day you're going to wake up and be happy that you did. I think it becomes a little bit more important, and we've talked a lot about this on this show, but when you get to the retirement red zone, so that five years preceding and starting retirement, those are such critical times, and, and it's less about making money and more about not making a big mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, And again, a lot of times, just like, just like it sounds, you know, it's a football reference, right? If I'm on the five-yard line, it's not really my job to make a big play. It's my job to inch that ball forward right? right, and get it in the end zone. And I think that that's a really good metaphor for how you want to approach those five years before and after retirement is we want to be careful. We want to make money. We want to get into the end zone, so to speak. But we don't want to take unnecessary risk because that's that time where you really can't afford to make a big mistake. Yeah, unnecessary risk. That one really piqued my interest. And I think the way to mitigate that sort of risk is to have some sort of comprehensive plan that will help you survive even in a down market or in a fluctuating market like we have had here in this past year or so with a market bouncing up. It goes back down. They call them uh, dead cat rallies. And we apologize to uh, cat lovers. It's just a saying or sucker rally 
rallies, that sort of thing. But having a plan will help you mitigate these financial storms. And I know that you there at Floyd Financial Group are offering a complimentary, no-cost, no-obligation financial plan for the loyal listeners to this radio program. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime to request yours. Call 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233 can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. A great chance for you to sit down with Randy and Jake or Randy or Jake and ask your particular questions and get the answers that apply to you. Once again, it's floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money. Thank you so much for making us part of your Labor Day weekend. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show after this here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy Floyd along with Jake, and you're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to talk about some new terms that we, I say some new terms. There are some old terms and a new term that I heard just recently, (laughs) Jeff. Yeah, we were talking off the air about different inflations there. I've heard about inflation. I've heard about stagflation. But Randy, you're telling me about shrinkflation, but you didn't go any further. So Share with me and share with the audience, what exactly is shrinkflation? Well, shrinkflation, I had never really heard until just a few days ago. I was reading somewhere and then people are talking about that consumers now are not so much concerned about inflation as they are shrinkflation because, you know, inflation is if I buy a three pound coffee can, right? Do you remember when, when, oh, yeah. well, I won't, I won't say the brand when coffee in general came in a three pound can. Yeah. Well, you know, as the price moved, if it remained in a three pound can, you could see what your inflation was, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now, you know, they've done this thing to where, and, and you may be aware of this, you're a coffee drinker, I know. Yeah. And so 48 ounces is three pounds. Mm-hmm. Well, that coffee can that used to weigh three pounds is still pretty much the same size, but now it only weighs 33.9 ounces. Mm. So, so when you start thinking about that, I mean, you've lost almost a pound of coffee there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Over the years, that is what we're calling shrinkflation because what's happening is companies are now shrinking their packaging and maintaining or still raising the price. And so people are having a real hard time understanding whether or not they are getting a value or not because everything that looks similar isn't similar and it isn't the same size like it used to be. Used to be there were standard sizes for things a little bit and people go, oh, well, that's a 12-ounce can. Yeah. Oh, that's a, you know, a, a six-ounce Coke bottle and or that's, you know, that's a pound and mm-hmm. so we know that that's going to be 16 ounces. Well, the things that used to be 16 ounces like the one-pound coffee can are now 11.3 ounces. Yeah. You know, so when you start looking at all Last this time stuff, I checked, 11.3 ounces is not three pounds. <laughs> <laughs> or, Very or a good. Pound. <laughs> Very good there, Jake. You know, my dad used to say when he was growing up, they would teach him things in school, you know, it says to help him remember it's that a pint's a pound the world around. <laughs> so, <laughs> and which kind of made sense back in the day. Yeah, you know, yeah. If you, but not anymore. <laughs> I have noticed that, Randy, in, in, in a lot of different areas. I mean, sometimes the packaging even will be the same, but the contents is a lot smaller than it used to be. Right. And even in serving sizes in uh, restaurants and things, you, you know, you used to get a salad, it was this big, and now 
now it's only this big. I guess that's a perfect example of shrinkflation. Are you finding that yeah. this is very common these days? I think it's pervasive throughout the industry right now. I look at this stuff and I just, all the time, you know, if, if you wanted to go in, used to be you'd go in, you'd buy, you know, a, a thing of cottage cheese right. would be a pound. Well, not Ooh. anymore. Uh-huh. I think also go go buy, go buy a bag of Ruffles chips. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like, it's literally, I mean, I'm not kidding. It's 60% air. In there. Yeah. You know, you open it up and you eat a few chips and you're like, "What? where did my bag of no, chips No, no, no. That, that's just due to some settling. Yeah. You know, some, some settling, some settling occurred. Occur. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Randy, you used to be in the food game, so weren't you? So you probably know all about this stuff, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I was in the food business before I started this business 22 years ago. I was in the food business for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I was in the wholesale distribution business, worked for a little company that a lot of people would know. We will, we will remain nameless at this point. But yeah, we, we had a, a lot of, uh, we've seen a lot of packaging change and a lot of marketing change, you know, over the years that bordered on just really not quite being truthful, to be right. honest. Is this a common technique all across the board to uh, do things like that? Well, you know, if we can't raise the price, we'll just give you less of what you think you are buying. Have you seen well, that across the board in many other areas? Yeah, Procter & Gamble may sue me for saying this. But Uh-oh. I remember back, <laughs> back in the day. Well, they won't. I don't, I don't they'll probably, they probably won't be listening. But yeah. anyway, they used to make, for restaurants, they used to make this industrial-grade Tide, and it was designed to clean floors. Mm-hmm. Now, it was similar to the Tide that you have at home, except it was minus one ingredient, which was this thing called fluorescent brighteners that goes into Tide for laundry. Right. And so, but it was a really great industrial strength cleaner. And it used to come in a 50-pound cardboard box. Wow. Well, I remember one day, all of a sudden, they changed, you see, it said, you know, and it would say Tide, 50-pound mm-hmm. box. All of a sudden, one day, they it said Tide 500. Wow. Tide 500. But it was only a 36-pound box, and it cost the same. (laughs) (laughs) Shrinkflation, baby. (laughs) You know, that is a new term, shrinkflation. I wonder what other terms are coming down the pike because inflation is something that people have on their minds. It's the same sort of thing. They're just giving it a new title. Are you finding that people are becoming more aware of these things? And where is this going? I mean, how much longer can we be in this particular boat? They're raising interest rates, but it doesn't seem to have any sort of immediate effect on how much more we're paying for things. You know, you know, we've talked about this, you know, for weeks now, Jeff, and we're seeing more and more people are starting to jump on the bandwagon. People like Credit Suisse and Bank of America and a lot of people, Morgan Stanley, and a lot of these people are out there. And, the, and over the last few weeks, they've all said, you know, we're going to have a, re- a recession. We don't know how deep it is. Some are saying it's going to be extremely deep. Mm-hmm. Some are saying it's going to be mild. And nobody really knows. And I know that Jerome Powell and, the, you know, the Fed, they are trying to take interest rates to the level to where, uh, in fact, they spoke, what's it been a week and a day ago or something like that when they really kind of gave the outlook for what they intend to do with interest rates. And uh, basically, uh, he said, I'm going to remain in a position where we have got to kill inflation to right the ship. He even referred back to when uh, Burns was Fed chairman during the Carter years, Mm -hmm. uh, how he could not get anything under control there. He didn't stick to his guns. He didn't raise interest rates enough to kind of kill demand. And then Paul Volcker stepped in, and guess what he did? He put us on economic chemotherapy raised interest rates to 15 percent and sure enough we got inflation under control and it stayed that way for almost 40 years until we had a pandemic we closed down the world and we printed
printed trillions of dollars of money and put it in everybody's pocket, and there was not enough stuff to buy and too much money. And guess what that creates? Inflation. So we've got to really get to the other side of this and kill demand. I want to tell people this again. I am optimistic about this country. I still think we live in the greatest place in the world. Uh, The rest of the world has a much bigger problem than we even have, but we've got some pain coming ahead. But on the other side of this will be great things. Yeah, I have heard that in Great Britain, or maybe I'm mistaken about that, but overseas somewhere, I mean, they're looking at 20% inflation. So the fact that we've got it under double digits at this point, at least that's what they're reporting, we should be pretty well off with that. We're talking about inflation and stagflation and shrinkflation and all sorts of flations with uh, Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. So the cost of borrowing money has really pretty much more than doubled since the beginning of the year. Do you see, as you said, uh, interest rates, are they just going to keep bumping them up and bumping them up and bumping them up until we get inflation under control? Is there maybe a limit to how far you can raise things? Well, I would say there there is definitely not a limit. Here's the limit is when things start really falling apart, they will want to stimulate, so they will start cutting rates. So there's basically a couple of paths here that uh, that could take place. Number one is that we're close to done hiking rates and we just enter a recession and that plays out and then interest rates come back down. The other way is that the market and consumers are stubborn. They do not take their medicine. They do not stop spending. And we kick the can down the road three to six months, in which case the Fed will continue to raise rates and will be forced to continue to raise rates. And if we get up to, so right now we're at two and a quarter and we're probably going to go to three at the next at the next rate hike. If we end up at like five or something like that, that will create a very deep recession, especially if we stay there for any amount of time. Now, when they do that, though, that's a huge opportunity for those that have a plan and to take advantage of it and are paying attention. But inflation will come down one way or another. The question is, how painful are we going to make it mm-hmm. um, because we keep kicking the can down the road? The Fed should just come out and take interest rates to a restrictive level now. Stop with this 50 and 75 basis point stuff. They should go out there, take it to four and a half right now. That'll fix it. Everybody will take notice. They'll put the brakes on. Inflation will be stopped in its tracks, and then we can move on. The problem is by doing the frog in the pan of water thing that we're doing right now, Right. If you throw him into boiling water, he jumps out instantly, right? Because it's hot. But if you start, I'm just saying this for the benefit of people that have not heard this, but if you, if you put a frog in a pan of you know lukewarm water and then you slowly boil it, he will die in there. He will not jump out. And so the same thing is happening right now with the inflation situation where you know, we're, just, we're just turning up the heat a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and people are not getting the message. And eventually the frog's going to die here. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, or we could just turn up the heat, let us jump out, and then we it'll be a lot less problematic, in my opinion, I think that. Uh, but it's it's going to happen one way or another. Inflation is going to come down. I would say by this time next year, inflation will be much, much lower than it is right now. So enjoy your Social Security adjustment this year, because it's probably not going to be nearly as big next year. <laughs> you know, I have made different buying choices. I mean, I'm not buying some things. I'm making consumer choices, so I guess I'm already in a recession. But if I'm hearing you correctly... It looks like there is more pain to come or even deeper pain. Is that what we're really seeing for the near term? I think there is definitely some deeper pain to come. The question is is whether it's this month, next month, or whether it's February or March before it comes around. And and again, it, because we have changed the game forever with the Fed, right? The Federal Reserve Bank has changed the game by messing with free markets. If we just had free markets do their thing and the Fed didn't exist, this would all be over by now because 
we would have had a big route. But the, the Fed can't stand for people to lose jobs or for the markets to come down, you know. And so now that they've changed the game, we're back into this situation now where good news is bad news and bad news is good news. What do I mean by that? If economic indicators are down, they perceive that the Fed is being effective. Therefore, the Fed will stop raising interest rates and we should buy, right? And so the opposite is also true. If, if, everybody's, if everything looks good and unemployment remains at record lows and wages are going up exponentially and you know, consumer confidence is high, then obviously the Fed hasn't done enough yet. And so they're going to do more. And so people start selling. So it's kind of changed the game forever having the Fed. There's a lot of people that say maybe we shouldn't have a Fed. You know, I don't know necessarily that I'm in that camp, but they certainly seem to stick their nose in every five seconds these days. Well, if we don't have a Fed, what am I going to do with these hundred uh, Jerome Powell bobbleheads that I had made here, too? I was going to give those out as, as gifts this year. We're talking with Randy and Jake here of Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about uh, inflation and stagflation and shrinkflation, among other things. But I'm with you, Randy, even though there is pain to be had now, there's pain to be had ahead. I uh, really have great confidence that we will get through this because America, I think, and as I think most of our listeners know, it is the greatest country in the world, and we have rebounded from many worse things than this. And we I will totally get, agree too, Jeff. Yeah, we will get through this too. So I have great, great confidence. But one of the ways that you can maybe lessen the pain a little bit is to have a financial plan that will allow you to uh, survive and thrive, even during down financial markets like this. Now, how much is this going to cost you to get this plan? It's absolutely nothing. You see, we're fighting inflation right now by giving away something of great value. It is a financial plan with Randy and Jacob Floyd Financial Group. To get yours with no cost, no obligation, and no judgment, call 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. You can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Do yourself a favor and take advantage of this offer and this opportunity as soon as you can. floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money. Happy Labor Day weekend. Celebrate safely. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right after this, right here in 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake here with Randy and Jeff, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about life insurance, life insurance you already have and what to do with it. Yeah, and when I think about life insurance, I think about paying a death benefit to Randy and Jake, and I think about things like term insurance. That's the first thing that comes to mind. And that's where you buy insurance for 20 years or so. And if you die, a benefit is paid to uh, your survivors. But there are many other types of insurance. And insurance really can be a powerful tool to use for people in their financial portfolios to build wealth. So let's start off with the basics. If people don't understand what term insurance is, let's just go over that real quick before we move on to the other uses for insurance. Sure thing, Jeff. So basically, when we look at term insurance, what we're looking to do is buy the most death benefit for the least amount of money. And generally, we buy this when we are younger and, you know, we have a family to raise. We have a large mortgage. Maybe we got student debt that we have to pay. Of course, some people wouldn't have that anymore now. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, right. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole other segment. Wow. I was waiting <laughs> that's a whole for that one. Segment. It, yeah. 
So, I mean, you know, maybe it's something like that. And that's what we want to do is we want to have the mostest, as I call it, for the least amount of money that I have to pay mm. each month. Now, that's great because we can buy it for, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You can even buy decreasing term that as your mortgage gets paid down, you have less, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. And as you age, you have less insurance out there. But term insurance is generally designed to take care of a debt that I am afraid I may have. Many times when people buy businesses or things of that nature, especially if the business is going to be owner financed like they are, mm -hmm. we want to have an agreement where those people have to keep some type of insurance in case they die and can't run the business, they can finish paying us off, that sort of thing. Or maybe you have a family, like I said, and dad dies early. We want to make sure that the kids still have a house in, uh, over their head, you know, and that they can pay monthly bills and your wife can uh, have a chance to find somebody else, you know, out there over time. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I know that once, once they've had most of our clients, they could never find anybody that could measure up, yeah. you know. <laughs> Lisa's uh, never going to find anybody to replace you, Randy. You are the one and only. That's the way it goes. That's it. That's it. And so term insurance is meant to be, you know, run for a term. And then at the end, what's going to happen is as you're, because you're older when that ends, uh, if you want to renew that though, many times we'll let you keep that, mm -hmm. but it's, the price is going to go way, way up because at that point in time, you're much more mortal after 20 or 30 years right. than you were when you took it out. So it's going to cost more. One thing I might add about term insurance is most term insurance policies do give you the ability to convert to a whole life or a universal life policy that can last you the rest of your life. But again, you're going to have to pay the extra premium. And many times that is very, very steep. And it's sort of like car insurance. If you don't use it, you lose it. It really doesn't have any value unless you pass away. But you alluded to whole life insurance and the ability to convert term life to whole life. So let's talk about whole life. What is whole life? Sure. Whole life was really the kind of the original life insurance contract that was out there. You know, term came a little bit later right behind that to cut cost. And then uh, after that, we had universal life that came along. And universal life is kind of a combination of term life and whole life. But whole life at its core is designed to really be pretty rigid. You you know what your death benefit's going to be. You can have the death benefit be a level benefit, meaning I buy $250,000 and it's always $250,000 in there. Or I can have it where it increases the death benefit with the cash value that builds up inside my policy. And a whole life policy will generally build cash value inside there. And it's something that we can build that's very predictable. In some cases, we get additional dividends that may come into the policy and add to the cash value. But the idea of whole life is it's going to be there and there's going to be a death benefit paid out at some point in the future. We also can, uh, after a period of time when there's enough cash value inside that policy, we can have the policy pay its own way, pay its own premium mm -hmm. uh, in many cases, or we can also take out tax-free loans to use for income. Okay, so life insurance insures your life, and if you pass away, basically there's a death benefit. But I understand that you can also use insurance or life insurance as a wealth-building tool. How could you do that? Absolutely. So, you know, really there's basically five things that we look at life insurance to do. And this is going to be more geared toward whole life and what we call indexed universal life. Now, there's variable universal life as well, where you're tied directly to the stock market and you can make gains up and down based on what the market does. And then the indexed universal life allows you to track an index like the S&P 500 or maybe the NASDAQ or maybe some even have the Dow Jones out there. But you have a floor under your money and you participate 
certainly in some of the gain of the upside of the market. Mm -hmm. The idea of the whole life and the universal life is to build some cash value in there that can be used for maybe uh, if you start young, you may want to pull out money to pay college for your children. It may be that if you start really young, you may have enough in there to pull out money for a down payment to buy your first house. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may be that uh, you have a, a universal life policy your whole life. Maybe when you get to age 65, you want to turn on income out of there where there's a way to pull tax-free income out of the the variable universal life and the index universal life where you don't have to pay taxes. It's kind of a an alternative to a Roth IRA in many cases as a way to get tax-free income. Also along the way, many of these give us living benefits like if we need long-term care later in life, if we get to where we cannot perform two activities of daily living, it will accelerate the death benefit, pay us today for in-home care, assisted living, or finally nursing home. And then finally, again, we don't want to forget all the life insurance can be an income replacement. In other words, if we have a couple and mom dies early or dad dies early, it's a way to have some money out there to pay off debt and to also provide income for that remaining spouse. And then finally, the last thing I'll talk about, and this applies to a fair number of people these days, but not nearly as many as it used to. Mm -hmm. And again, taxes may go up in the future and this may change. Some people are going to pay estate taxes, meaning if if you have too much wealth at the end of of your life, you may have to pay death taxes. So right now, I mean, that is a big number, 11.1 million roughly for people, for an individual, and then a couple is double that. But that may go back way down in 2025 because we have a sunset provision on that. What you can do is you can set up what's called an irrevocable life insurance trust. You can fund that irrevocable life insurance trust, and then what that can do is help be set aside to pay estate taxes upon the death of the final couple that uh, is trying to settle their estate. So there's really five or six good uses for permanent life insurance, we'll call it, whether that's index universal, whole life, or variable universal life. There's many, many uses for it, and it can be a great tool, uh, more than just a death benefit. Yeah, as you said, life insurance is more than just a death benefit, and you piqued my interest with something there that I think a lot of people don't realize is that life insurance, you can actually draw on your death benefits before you die if you can't do two of six activities of daily living. I know you mentioned that just a little bit. How does that work and what sort of policy should someone be asking for that will allow you to draw on these future death benefits? Sure. So there's two setups on life insurance this way. You can actually buy what's called a long-term care rider where you Mm -hmm. actually have to pay more money and it gives you a little more flexibility on how that pays out and how much pays out. But there are many policies today that have it just as part of the base policy. It's called a chronic illness rider and they don't charge for it and they don't underwrite for it in many cases as well. So when you're looking at your life insurance, always look at what benefits you can include or what riders you can include that don't cost. And then in some cases, there may be a rider or two that you would like that would uh, absolutely cost something right now, but might be worth it for you in your individual situation. That needs to be evaluated for each person or each couple. I think most people listening to this radio program are probably on the more mature side. They may be of your and my age, maybe just a little bit younger. Can you be too old to take advantage of uh, insurance and life insurance and particularly the type of insurance that will pay a future death benefit if you can't do two of six? The answer to that question is yes. There comes a point in time when the mortality 
and expense, they call it the, the expense of how old we are. In other words, when we're young, when we're 20, our cost of insurance for buying a life insurance contract is low, right? Because our mortality risk is much lower. When we get to be 65 and 70, and I would even say you're really getting close to the borderline at 62 and 63, mm-hmm. for this to really make sense to where you can offset enough of the cost of insurance to really make it worthwhile. I will say this, if you're in good shape physically and you're in your 50s, even around 60 to 62 or 63, it can still make sense to use some life benefits to fund long-term care potentially. And the reason I like that, rather than buying traditional long-term care insurance, where like you said, with car insurance, if I pay, 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 and I never have a wreck, mm-hmm. well, if I buy traditional long-term care insurance and I pay, 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 and I never end up in a nursing home, I don't get any money back. Through a life insurance contract, I can have that life insurance death benefit out there. And if I never use it, it gets passed to my beneficiaries tax-free. If I have whole life insurance or permanent life insurance and I decide one day I just don't need this anymore, I'm going to surrender it. Will you pay some significant fees to do that? So it depends on how long you've had the policy. If you've had it past what's called the surrender period, and surrender periods on life insurance, there's many different types. There is life insurance today that is treated like an investment where there's no big upfront fees or anything like that. There's not even a surrender charge. You can have your money back. Then there are those that it takes 15 years to get beyond what's called a surrender charge, and that's a penalty for early withdrawal of money that's in the account, okay? So we have to look at each of these situations and really figure out what's best for each client. But if you've had your policy a very long time, there's a lot of cash value in there. There's two things you have to evaluate. Number one, how much have I paid for the policy? Because if I've paid, let's say, over 30 years, $25,000 into a policy, and there's $75,000 worth of cash value, if I just cash that out and take it, I owe taxes on $50,000 in gain, right? Yeah. I mean, I would. So might be better to take a monthly income out of there as a loan and not pay any taxes. That's one way to look at that. So again, there's so many strategies within life insurance that we can use to benefit people. I would say that you know everybody just needs, if you've got a life policy, you're wondering about it, bring it in. Let's yeah. sit down. Let's look at it. Go over it and give you your options. In some cases, if you have whole life and you have large death benefits and maybe you've come down with a disease that you know is not going to let you live much longer at a high quality of life, there are these companies that will buy out your life policy. Mm-hmm. It's called a life settlement. Not something that we do here hardly ever. I mean, we might have done one, uh, but again, it's something that is available. And you have to be careful who you deal with on these things. There are companies that make a business out of life settlements and viaticals. And I will tell right. you, those things can be very risky for the client and the advisor. So the takeaway is that life insurance is not just a death benefit. It can really be used as a financial tool and can help you build wealth. If you've got questions about insurance and how it may fit into your portfolio, of course, consult Randy and Jake there at Floyd Financial Group. They are licensed to talk about all sorts of insurance. And to get in touch with them, 417-889-7233. No cost, no obligation for you to sit down and ask your particular questions, not only about insurance, but just wealth planning and retirement as well, too. They'll put together a retirement plan for you at no cost, no obligation. 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary no-cost note judgment plan at floydfinancialgroup.com. Do it today. Happy Labor Day weekend. Celebrate it safely. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show after this on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. 
Back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your host, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy Floyd along with Jake Floyd, and you're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this final segment today, we're going to be talking about, are you ready for this? Yeah. The five steps. All right. Well, we talk about it once in a while, but we know that everybody doesn't listen to every show. Always good to go back and revisit this. These are the five steps that you take people through when you come in to get your complimentary, no cost, no obligation financial plan. So, Randy, let's start at the beginning. What is the first out of the five steps? I think we probably should add a precursor to the five steps, okay. and that is, first and foremost, you know, we work very hard here to make our office and our facility very nice and relaxing for people, mm-hmm. and when you come in here, it's almost like a home atmosphere in here. It's it's not really an office atmosphere. <laughs> I mean, we do a lot of business here, no doubt, and we right. conduct business here in a very professional manner, but it's more relaxed, and so when you come in, first person you're going to see probably is Ashley up front, and she's always got a smile on her face. She's very efficient. She's going to ask you what you want to drink, make you comfortable. Mm -hmm. But then after that, we're going to sit down and really what's most important to Jake and myself here is we want to get to know people. So step one that we go through is discovery. And discovery is about us learning about you and what's important to you and what you're trying to accomplish. But there's also another side to discovery. And that is we want you to know who we are and what we're about and how we operate. Right up front, we want people to know that because you know what? It's hard anytime you're building a new relationship, especially, you know, where if it's money, politics, or religion, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's one of those things you're like, okay, who am I sitting with here? Right, (laughs) right. right. So, yeah, we have to be careful. We want to know what's important to people. Mm -hmm. And that's step one, discovery. You know, the next step in the equation is step two, which we call analysis. And it's not like we sit here and we check the box and say, okay, that's step one, it's step two. It's just kind of the way the the conversation rolls, okay, is what it amounts to. The analysis portion of that is, okay, so what kind of income do you really need to live on? What do you, how do you see retirement? What does that mean to you? And how much money are we going to need to do that? And we're going to look at your investments and see how they're structured, see if you're taking the proper amount of risk for the position in life that you're in now, because, you know, risk tolerance changes, you know, as we aging a little bit older, we need to make sure that we don't make mistakes with the money we've worked a lifetime to save. So we'll look at all those different aspects. Once we know what's important to you, once we know what we have to work with, step three then goes into planning. We start the planning process and we sit down and we say, okay, so how do we make, how did Jake and I go behind the scenes? How do we make a better mousetrap? How do we make sure that the investments we're going to put people in are going to last? They're not going to have to look over their shoulder and worry about running out of money, all those sorts of things. We want them to have a great, fulfilling retirement and not have to worry about those things because I've already worked 30, 35, 40, 45, in some cases, 50 years. So now is their time to go enjoy life. Once we've done the planning process and we sit down and we talk about that with people, and it's not one of these situations where we say, wham, bam, this is what we're doing. It's kind of a conversation. We want people to understand the plan. We find that most times when people come in, they really have never had anybody spend time with them to really help them understand what their investments are, uh, what they mean, how they are affected by interest rates, how they're affected you know, by monetary policy of the country, how they're affected by what happens overseas. They don't understand maybe how, how our currency works against other currencies. And we want to talk about those things because all of those things affect uh, how their money works for them. Now, here's the thing. We'll get as technical or non-technical as people want, but we just want people to know and understand as much as they want to. Finally, what generally ends up happening, and sometimes this is a 
two-meeting or a three-meeting process. Mm -hmm. We had one couple that took a seven-meeting process, and that's okay, too. But what ends up happening is we kind of come to an understanding. We'll never put the thumb on people to do business. It just kind of says, well, Randy, you know, if we were to do this, what would be the first step? So implementation, uh, you kind of put the monkey on our back. What we do is we do all the paperwork, get everything appropriated so that if you want to implement the plan, you come back in as the client, and you will sit down, and you will go through paperwork and go through all the details one more time. We will sign paperwork and start the process of transitioning assets wherever they may be to TD Ameritrade. You know, we never have custody of your money here. We always have professional custodians do that, like a TD Ameritrade, a Mm -hmm. Charles Schwab, people like that, okay? Once the implementation process is through and we get everything transferred, we have people back in, we set them down, and we talk about, we get logins set up for their websites so they can have access to see their funds 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just probably pretty much what they're used to now. And once that's done, we will schedule our first review or monitor uh, monitoring of the, of the program about 90 days out. And then we always schedule a meeting from a meeting looking forward so that we always know we've got our next review coming up. And that's the process. So discovery, analysis, planning, implementation, and monitoring. And that just kind of goes on as time goes forward. And uh, that's how we keep people all on the same page. Yeah. And there is no obligation as well, too. I want to point that out with people. You are just, uh, you know, people just like the uh, people who are coming in to uh, visit you, put your pants on the same way. There's no judgment as well, too. In that discovery process, I like that. You sit down, visit with people. You want to find out who they are and you want them to discover who you are. And then as that lady said, then you get to the scary money stuff. But you also take the scary out of the money stuff. So you get to the analysis, you get to the planning, you get to the implementation, and then you get to the monitoring. Those are the five steps. As you said, one couple spent, I think, seven meetings to get all the way to the end. Typically, how many meetings does this take? Generally speaking, we're going to have a discovery meeting, we're going to have an analysis and planning meeting, and then many times at the third meeting, it's where we start to implement things. Once in a while, it takes one additional, and it'll be a fourth meeting. And again, what we really want to do, Jeff, is just meet people where they are. We don't want them to be in a hurry. We don't want to be in a hurry. We feel like, you know, if it's a good idea today, it'll still be a good idea tomorrow. Mm -hmm. No one has any sales training, as you said. No one's going to put the thumb down on you. I think that's very important for people to realize listening to this program, there's no pressure for you to do anything at Floyd Financial Group. Let's talk about minimums. I mean, some people listening to the program and go, you know, these are pretty smart guys. They probably are dealing with people who have millions of dollars. I'm not necessarily a millionaire, but I've got some money here. And, you know, I personally, I've got enough money to last me the rest of my life as long as I die by 4 p.m. today. And there are a lot of people that are like that. I mean, we don't have a lot of money, but we do need help. Are there minimums? Minimums at Floyd Financial Group. Now, there's, there's really no minimums here. You know, the thing I would say is we are, our client base is Springfield. You know, and so we got we got people that some people that have millions of dollars. We got some people that have tens of thousands of dollars that are going into retirement and everything in between. Mm -hmm. So we want to meet people where they are. And what we really want to be is we want to help people and we want to make a difference for them. So, you know, that's what we want to do is meet people where they are and really help, you know, to educate them where they need that and also show them where their retirement income is going to come from. Show them what their tax picture is going to look like in retirement. Show them what, you know, their health insurance is going to look like, all that. You know, we just want to do a comprehensive plan for people. And, you know, we do this every day. Uh, Most people only retire 
retire, you know, once in a lifetime. So uh, there's a lot of little things they haven't, you know, come up against yet that we can help them through, that we can help them to navigate with, you know, no trouble at all, like filing for Social Security. We can help them file. It takes generally 15 minutes to do on the computer, and most people don't realize they can even file on the computer, Mm -hmm. you know. But so there's just many, many things like that. We have tax help here, uh, you know, where we can help to understand exactly what your tax burden is going to look like so you have no surprises at the uh, first year uh, end of your retirement you know uh, sometimes people are surprised but not with if they come here we know pretty much what the tax burden is going to look like some people like to uh, not do anything that they can't undo are there long-term contracts with floyd financial group if i go with you can i cancel at uh, any time So Floyd Financial Group, we're a registered investment advisory firm. Any contract you sign with us, you have, uh, I think we ask for five days, but Mm -hmm. you don't have any, you don't have any long-term sign up with this. You can fire us at any day. Now, if you come on board, we hope you never do. But if you do, that's okay. I mean, we, we won't hold it against you. You know, it's just, you can't please 100% of the people 100% of the time, Jeff. Right. But I think the vast majority of people have been with you for a long period of time. Your clients are really not just there for a few months or a couple of years. You have clients who've been with you for probably generations, right? So we have, yeah, we have a lot of people where mom and dad have passed on and then, you know, the kids have, have come to us and said, hey, we know you, we we, we, we trust you, we, we, we've been around you long enough, we, we kind of feel like you're part of the family. So yeah, we have a lot of second generation clients here. Uh, the other thing I would say, you know, is we're very blessed in the fact that uh, we just don't, I mean, we rarely lose a client other than to somebody passing away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happens, you know, once or twice a year, but, but not much more than that i mean it's really we've been very blessed and and uh, we try to you know be completely open honest forthcoming have open conversation with people every time we sit with them and try to let them know kind of what we're thinking and also through this show you know as we do our kind of market update i would call it each week with the current events we try to keep people abreast of what we're thinking and i think people like that and knowing that we're we're you know on the job and we're here doing it uh, makes people feel comfortable and that's why they stay long term randy is a fair question from the client side to ask you how do you get paid what i mean by that is what are the fees? Am I going to be paying a fee up front? Yeah. So what we talk about, we always disclose everything 100%. There's no disclosure that we (laughs) don't talk about in every case. If you're a Floyd Financial Group client and you are working just with our registered investment advisory firm, the annual fee base is generally around 1%. And many times that's about all you're going to pay. We don't use mutual funds that have additional fees on there. We don't use... uh, high fee accounts. I mean, we disclose all the fees to everybody, whatever we're talking about, any investment we're going to do. But there's no fee up front. Right. I think that's partially what right. what Jeff was talking about is, yeah, there's no fee at all to come and sit with us. Right. Even if we sit down a second time, a third time, a fourth time to go through everything and really help you understand everything, there will never be a fee for you to come in for a meeting. Only if we do business and you will see those coming a mile away. So leave your checkbook at home. It is a complimentary consultation that we offer here every Every week on the radio program, if you would like to have your five-step process with Floyd Financial Group that includes discovery, analysis, planning, implementation, and monitoring, again, it's not going to cost you anything. There's no judgment, no obligation. 
Call 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary no-judgment plan at floydfinancialgroup.com. While you're there, take a look at the About section. Find out more about Floyd Financial Group. Take a look at the team. I think you'll find that there are people just like you and me. We're in business to help you get where you need to be. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. I want to thank everybody for spending this Saturday morning with us and wish everyone a happy and a safe Labor Day. For Andy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend, won't you? We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.